I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. During winter breaks in college, I worked as a ski instructor near my parents' house in Iowa. On a typical day, I taught farmers how to snowplow and chased foreign exchange students through the parking lot as they careened toward diesel pickup trucks. While skiing is never a bad way to earn a buck, this gig usually left me more sore than satisfied. At the end of the day, I found myself pouring through issues of the now-defunct Freeze magazine, dreaming of powder days and places where Carhartt overalls were not standard ski attire. My choice to attend college in Arkansas didn't exactly offer me any more opportunities for face shots. So my sophomore year, a group of friends and I hatched the plan to head west for spring break. After a brief deliberation, Josh, Stephen, Greer, Ramirez, and I settled on Colorado. We decided to hit a few spots off I-70. We'd start with Keystone, put in a day at Vail, and get above the tree line at A-Basin before we had to start the drive back. To prepare, we crowded around the TV in my dorm room and watched Aspen Extreme and Out Cold. We found a deal on housing that could semi-comfortably fit five dudes and offered a poachable hot tub within walking distance, and Stephen convinced his dad to loan us his new extended cab pickup truck. We were set. It took 17 hours to drive from Arkansas to Colorado, and we did it all in one shot. But the fatigue did little to phase us. We were riding high on the promise of four days of long runs and good times, supplemented with an unhealthy amount of truck stop coffee. The next day, the snow fell wet and heavy in the Rockies. First tracks gave way to third tracks as we wore out our snooze buttons, weary from the long trip. We all finally rallied, with a little help from Ramirez, who went from bed to bed removing blankets and rousing the troops. But regardless of our late start, we were pumped. We threw our gear into the bed of the pickup, piled in, and drove toward a grocery store that offered discounted passes. Tickets in hand, we filed back into the truck and Greer slid a Led Zeppelin's greatest hit CD into the stereo. The song remains the same came over the speakers and as the speed of Jimmy Page's frantic opening riff increased, so did our anticipation for what lay ahead. There was no shortage of high fives as we pulled onto the road and made our way to Keystone. We had been driving for less than three minutes when a large silver SUV lurched out in front of us. Stephen braked, but the early morning cold had turned the road to black ice, topped with a slick layer of slush. We began to slide. We careened sideways toward oncoming traffic before a loud crunch signaled our impact with a sign planted in a low barrier that divided the lanes. The barrier provided enough lift to roll the truck onto its side and propel us into a slide across the other lane. The brakes of approaching cars screeched as they attempted to swerve and avoid our out-of-control sled. I recoiled and braced for another impact, and then, silence. Few of us remember what happened between the moment the truck flipped onto its side and the moment it came to rest, upside down, in a ditch on the opposite side of the road. Reports from witnesses and the driver of the other vehicle basically describe a full rotation of the truck between cars in the other lane. When I opened my eyes, I discovered that I was lying on the ceiling of the truck, 
our belongings strewn about the inverted cab. Glass crunched beneath my knees and thighs as I rolled over to find Ramirez, lying motionless beside me. Adrenaline coursed through my veins and my heart sank. I reached for his shoulder and shouted his name, asking frantically if he was okay. I would be if you'd move out of the way, he said as he laughed and turned to move past me to exit the mass of twisted metal. I chuckled nervously and fell in behind him in a crawl toward the window, relieved that his warm personality was still intact. We exited the truck to find Josh, Greer, and Steven alive and well. Except for Greer's nose, which was doing a fair amount of bleeding and now took a slight right turn, we seemed to have skated out unscathed. The first words out of Josh's mouth were, Where's my board? Greer also kept the mood light by trying to determine exactly how many times we'd flipped. Man, I think it was at least three. Stephen crouched down to remove the vintage Arkansas Razorbacks license plate from the mangled truck. Gotta make sure I get this, he said, dusting it off on his pant leg. He didn't say much else, but based on the intensity of his gaze as he examined what remained of the truck, he was no doubt pondering which one of several slow and painful deaths he would prefer to suffer once his dad got word that we'd turned his once shiny Ford into scrap metal. Ramirez and I were a little more visibly stressed about the situation. While I'd like to chalk it up to the fact that we're the control freaks of the group, the truth is I was doing nothing to take control of the situation. My contributions involved mostly pacing and asking, what are we going to do? As I moved around the truck from multiple angles, assessing the damage in hopes that from some newly discovered vantage point, it wasn't that bad. It was that bad. We picked our skis, poles, and board out of the snowbank and sat on the side of the road to collect ourselves. In the wreckage, cashmere blared through the truck's speakers, possibly the only still functioning part of the vehicle. Greer jumped up from the snow, walked toward the truck, and reached in through the broken driver's side window to turn up the volume. We all nodded in approval and sat in the snow as sirens filled the air. After a few roadside physical examinations with emergency personnel, who confirmed that Greer's nose probably shouldn't click like that, discussions with police and the other driver, and a particularly awkward phone call to Stephen's dad, we made our way to a nearby greasy spoon. The truck was totaled, and the feeling that our trip was, too, hung over us like a black cloud. Rattled, and most likely concussed, we stared at our menus for much longer than it should have taken to settle on the chicken fingers. As we waited, sad, moody tunes played on the restaurant's old radio, as if somehow they knew we were coming and had queued up this You Just Wrecked Your Friend's Dad's Truck and Now Your Ski Trip and or Life is Over playlist just for us. The ski trip we had looked forward to for months was now lying in remnants amongst the wreckage of a Ford F-150 at a dreary collision shop off the interstate. When the waitress returned, we started immediately into our lunch and began to discuss what to do next. We ran through the standard post-accident checklist. Tow the vehicle? Check. Extract the gear from the wreckage? Check. Go to the hospital? But really, what are they going to do for a broken nose anyway? Can't put a cast on a nose, can you? Forget it. Next question. Exchange information with the other driver? Check. Arrange a ride home with Steven's dad, whose truck we just destroyed? Greyhound's starting to sound like a better option, but check. It seemed as though we had done all the responsible things one does in this situation. So, we started laying out our options for the 72 hours before Steven's dad arrived. Until Josh interrupted. Ski, what else will we do? We're not dead and we still have our lift tickets. He was right. We didn't have a DeLorean handy that could take us back in time to ask the clown in the silver SUV to look both ways before pulling out. What were we supposed to do? Feel sorry for ourselves? Reflect on what had happened until our ride home arrived? So we skied. And those days were some of the best I've had on the mountain. Surrounded by good friends who were safe and upright, 
I cherished every turn. I even smiled at the sight of a lift line, just happy to be alive and standing in it. Three days later, Stephen's dad arrived in their family's SUV to rescue us and handle the paperwork for his totaled rig. We began to pack our things for the long trek home. There in a pile of belongings we salvaged from the truck was the Zeppelin CD. I shook my head and smiled as I chucked the disc into a duffel bag bound for the roof box. Maybe something lighter for the way back. I'm Tyler Neese, and this is my short. The Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia. Need some new layers this winter? A new jacket? Something like that? Well, check out OneWear.com, an online used Patagonia clothing store. That's right, used clothing store that Patagonia has created. Shop lightly used Patagonia gear or trade in that old jacket that's been sitting in your closet for store credit for something that you will wear. Go to OneWear.Patagonia.com to learn more. OneWear, better than new. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks. Don't shove your dirty mountain bike in your car this fall. Go to kuatracks.com and choose from their lineup of rad roof racks and hitch racks. Thanks, Kuat. And support also comes from Boston Brewing, a Virginia-based company that makes brews perfect for the end of a long day outside. Visit them in Richmond or on social media at Boston Brewing. Boston, hail the journey. Support for the Diaries always comes from you, and right now... We are looking for shorts. That's right. Have you ever thought about being on the show because you've got a great story to tell? Well, now is your chance. From now until Thanksgiving, we're accepting short submissions for 2018. For complete submission guidelines, go to dirtbagdiaries.com and click on the Write For Us tab up on the website. You'll see it. Thank you for Tyler for sharing your story these days. Tyler tries to keep the rubber side down and has finally landed in a place where the powder days are not uncommon. Bend, Oregon. If you're in town, you're likely to find him grinning on the local trails or making turns up at Mount Bachelor. Music today from Jacob Bain and Dees Koto, MC Cola, and Publish the Quest. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or with permission of the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song, which you can still get a copy of if you donate to the show, and you can find links to all the artists on our website. This episode was produced by Jen Altrell and Becca Call and scored and mixed by Jacob Bain. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.